coming up on today's episode of the Positivity Platform. We have to really recognize that it's a compilation of smaller mistakes that gives us the cognitive connection and the tools to avoid bigger mistakes down the road. My parents didn't talk about what was stressing them. It would be a mood, it would be an energy in the house, it would be you would just as a child sense that you are now walking on eggshells. It was really hard because I had never gone through that experience before. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I had to set a really significant boundary to ensure that that toxicity would never reach me again. Welcome to the Positivity Platform. We're your hosts, Erica and Evelyn. Join us for weekly chats that unpack life's experiences and forge pathways to positivity. Welcome to the Positivity Platform. So we are going to do what we call our golf cart talk. So hop in the golf cart with us. <laughs> Let's hop in the golf cart. Okay. So which speaking of hopping in the golf cart, honestly, Evelyn, I feel like I'm missing golf lately. It's, I mean, we still have our Wednesdays, but I do uh-huh. feel like I'm kind of missing out on more frequent golf. But having said that, you mentioned this a few weeks ago, that it has opened up the opportunity to have different experiences because golf does take a lot of time. So I've been enjoying focusing on areas that require focus more. So having just gotten through the holidays. And so now, though, I am looking forward to getting back into literally the swing of it <laughs> as we <laughs> as we move into more. I know that's cheesy, but I and I didn't no, plan that. That was just like I was like the bump. swing of it. <laughs> yes, because I do enjoy it so much. For our listeners, I am a substitute teacher, which I love because it gives me the flexibility. The schedule is flexible. I focus on primary grades. Yeah, which, you know, for me was <laughs> yes. never mine. And so, yeah, just because I had been a teacher for years, obviously, yes. and then moved into administration and ended up ahead of school before I retired. But I never taught elementary. That mm-hmm. is not in my skill set. Like I was always oh. a high school. And when they begged me in private school to teach like a middle school, eighth grade English or seventh grade English, I'd you know, very reluctantly acquiesce and take on the challenge. But high schoolers were my jam. That worked for me. Uh You know, I don't know how you do those elementary grades. Well, I don't want middle school. Yeah. (laughs) I've also been offered middle school positions and I, no, thank you. Yeah. That takes a, that's definitely not my jam. I do prefer primary grades because one, they're cute. <laughs> they are cute. Yes. Two, they still look up to you to teach them, you know, they're still learning how to learn and they're yeah. learning how to feel confident. And as a substitute, I have usually the curriculum or the lesson plan that mm-hmm. is there is very simple. It's mm-hmm. usually busy work to keep uh, reinforced skills that they already have learned. Yeah. So my gift is I go in and I, I tell them right from the get go, I am a nice sub. I am concerned with their emotional health more Mm -hmm. than their academics because I'm just there to what 
tell them to practice. Yeah. Well, now these kids are coding in kindergarten. That's oh, I so know, funny. I know, I know. <laughs> I actually just walked in because where I'm recording is um, at my ex-husband's house and he's nice enough to not mind that I come up here. It's super quiet here. But um, as I looked on my son's desk, there was a book coding for kids. Like he's been yes. coding for years, but apparently now he's doing his own independent research on coding. I mean, these are definitely not our generation of, you know, elementary school kids for sure. This week, I have been going through a lot of difficult things, but I think I don't want to get into that right now, just because I do think eventually in a future podcast, I might be able to touch on it. But in the midst of that, I did want to try to find things that I could be happy about and encouraged about. And so we've been kind of putting things on the calendar for the year ahead. And I always love that, like not not day-to-day things, but big things. So we've kind of planned out a few trips for this year. So we're planning out our March trip. And again, we live in Hawaii. So you know, if you need to do something, you're leaving the island. And that's a big deal. And it's a big planning endeavor too, just because of flights and the expenses associated with it and everything. So we're planning a trip in March and we're going to Rhode Island and Massachusetts to visit Odie's family. Then we're going down to Florida and we'll be going to visit Bella in Orlando and going to Disney World. And then we're going to Atlanta to see Shelby and Noel, my other two daughters, and then we'll fly back. So we'll be gone for about two and a half weeks in March. Uh-huh. And then another big thing is we'll be going on a cruise at the end of August out of Rome, a Mediterranean <gasps> cruise for 10 days. Oh, how fun. I know. I'm so excited. Oh. You know, last year, I introduced uh-huh. him to cruising for the first time because he had never cruised before and uh-huh. he got the bug. He, Mm -hmm. that's like, he thinks it's his favorite vacation ever. We were asked to join his sister who's going on a cruise and she's a solo cruiser. She's going on her own and asked if we would want to come along. And we were like, absolutely. So Mm -hmm. out of Rome and that's a bucket list item because both Odie and I, I don't know if you know this, Evelyn, but Odie is Italian and Irish and I'm, my mom is Italian and Irish. And it just so happens when his family was here in December and we were discussing our family lineage, we're actually from the same region in Italy, our families. So it's always been a bucket list ever since we met that we would want to travel to Italy some, at some point, we didn't know we were from the same region, but now we're actually going to be able to make that a reality. So that's something sort of big on the horizon, something to look forward to. I really do think that it is always important to have these, not necessarily trips, it doesn't have to be trips, but I think in our everyday lives, it's really important to have these things on the horizon that we can look forward to because uh-huh. then in those difficult days or when we're going through something, we can always look to or plan for or research something about you know what our future awesome days are going to be yeah. like too, oh, you yes. know, I mean, it's, yes. yeah. So I'm, oh, excited. I'm so excited for you. That yeah. is really mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. Uh, yep. This, this year, I was just thinking when you said things to look forward to this year, I have some traveling also next month. I am going to Las Vegas right oh, before good. my, yeah, right before okay. my birthday, mm-hmm. my niece uh, plays for a volleyball club mm-hmm. and they're going to have a president's day weekend mm-hmm. uh, tournament. So I'm going to go with my sister mm-hmm. and uh, watch her game for mm-hmm. the long weekend. So that's fun. And it's also fun because my son goes to UNLV. Mm-hmm. So I'll get to visit Thomas and his girlfriend, Maddie. So that'll be fun. And then in April, my mother is turning 80. 
Are you going, you're going to Samoa in April? Yes, I am. Oh, Evelyn. Yes. So we're going to, me and my sister. So the two of us are going to go to her 80th luncheon. We're going to put on a really nice luncheon for her, for her family and friends. That's so nice. And then in July, I, I'm going back to American Samoa for my father's 80th birthday, who also lives in American Samoa. Okay. And we're putting on a birthday golf tournament for his 80th birthday. That's perfect. Yeah. So I, I just thought about when you were saying you were making all your travel plans, I put these travel plans on the calendar last year. So I'll be very excited to celebrate both my parents' 80th birthdays. I'm grateful that I have both my parents and that they're 80. So with that in mind, I think we can build the platform with our Mindful Minute. And our Mindful Minute, as a reminder, is just a moment of gratitude based on whatever is going on in your life. For me, my Mindful Minute is both my parents are alive and both of them their minds are sharp. I have so many friends who have lost their parents already that were younger than my parents, or they are dealing with dementia or Alzheimer's, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, such a sad uh, and mean disease. Yes. So I am extremely grateful that both my parents are alive and that they are fairly healthy and that I get to celebrate their 80th birthday with them this summer. My mindful minute this week is something that, while small in terms of the practicality of it, is really big in terms of the symbolism behind it. And so I am incredibly grateful that I have this space that I'm recording in today, which is actually my ex-husband's house, which used to be my house, but I don't live here anymore. And It's great practically because it's very quiet here. Nobody's here during the day. And I have this very comfortable space in which I can, you know, record with you. Uh But the symbolism behind it really is about the transformation in the relationship that I have with my ex-husband, that he would be comfortable enough to allow me the use of this space. And Uh so I'm so thankful for that. And I can't imagine a better progression in a relationship than we've seen between the two of us in the past year. So I'm really, really thankful for him and the opportunity that he affords me to even be able to record this podcast here. And if you listen to our episode two about new beginnings, I think that's very significant because when we're stuck, we can never, and we don't make that move, you can never experience all of the healing on this side because there has to be a tremendous amount or at least a desire to heal and move forward between the two of you. Absolutely. You know, So, so having said that, I do think it's the perfect time to move into our moving moment. Our moving moment is always a quote that ties into the theme of today's episode. So this week's moving moment is a quote by an unknown author. And I quote, being a good parent requires knowing when to push and when to back off, 
when to help and when to let them make mistakes, and then being strong enough to watch them go. So today, we're going to explore personal evolution, particularly when that evolution involves the changing role of parents of children transitioning to adulthood. So let's get ready to hop on the platform and introduce today's guest, or in this case, guests. We are so excited that today's guests are none other than our 21 and 20-year-old daughters, Marang Aliai and Bella Jordan. We are thrilled to have the opportunity to include their perspectives on how we as parents have navigated this difficult journey. Let's take a moment to have Bella and Mara introduce themselves. Mara, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Mara. I'm 21 years old and I'm Evelyn's youngest child. I currently go to school in San Francisco and I'm majoring in business management with a minor in communications. So I would like to introduce my daughter, uh, Bella Jordan. Hi, I'm Bella. I'm 20 years old. I'm the fourth born. I currently am a second year at the University of Central Florida and I'm majoring in environmental studies. So thank you so much girls for being with us. We are so thankful to be able to have your perspectives today. This week, I have really become convicted that this is a really important topic to discuss on our podcast. I think that a lot of parents think about the whole idea of becoming empty nesters, and they have a vision in their minds of what that might look like, right? I no longer have to raise my kids. I can go off on cruises. I can you know, travel as much as I've wanted to. My kids will be independent and successful and all of these things that we envision. But mm-hmm. the reality is what we're seeing more and more today is that children who grow into adults, have a really difficult time navigating that journey into adulthood. And because of that difficult journey navigating into adulthood, it actually impacts our ability to live our fullest lives in that empty nest period, the lives that we envisioned for ourselves. So as we talk about this topic today, I think it's really important that we look at it from two perspectives, which is why it's so great to have our daughters present for this. Mm -hmm. Yes, we want to forge pathways to positivity. Not only in the lives of our children, that they're able to become successful adults and lead positive lives, but also for ourselves. I think it's really important that we recognize that this goes back into the earliest of years in children's lives. So we need to be looking at what we're doing as parents to help raise them to be ready to tackle adulthood and feel confident in the skills and the abilities that they possess that can carry them into adulthood successfully. By doing that, that is forging a pathway to positivity, not only in their lives, but also in ours for the future. So today we're hoping that you and Bella could touch on that. One of the experiences that you both share is you both went off to college at the same time. Maybe you can describe right now what that was like moving away and transitioning to college, which is also a stepping stone to adulthood. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. The transition of you kind of taking a few steps back as a mother has been really easy for me. I'm sure it's a lot of personality traits that 
that's just the way I was. But being the youngest of four, it was kind of what I was used to, just being kind of more of an independent child. And I didn't feel like I was leaving home too early. Everything that you did for me growing up, I knew that when it was time to leave home, which by the way, was pushed back a year because of COVID, that I would be ready. And I felt more than ready to take those first steps to being on my own. So Bella, what are some of the struggles or challenges that a young adult faces when transitioning out of the home and into young adulthood outside of the home for the first time? I think there are definitely lots of struggles and new forms of struggles since COVID hit. Um, I know for me personally, I left the house in 2021, like right after lockdown. So I was really worried about, you know, being away from my family after spending so much time with them. But after about the first four months, I think, was when like the adult struggles really started to set in, mainly like finances, buying groceries, just learning how to take care of yourself when you don't have a parent watching over you. Bella lives independently in an apartment, so she does not live in a dorm. So you, Bella, have taken on the role of being almost like a head of household in addition to transitioning out of the home for the first time. What has that been like for you? Yeah, it wasn't at all like I expected. After my first year staying in dorms, I was completely you know, ready and excited to move into an apartment. But now that I have to make meals every day. It takes a lot of pre-planning, a lot of organization that it it was a learning curve. Of course it is. And I think a lot of times any transition, no matter what the stage is in life, any change definitely involves a learning curve. So what I'd like to do is sort of look at five goals that we as parents should create for ourselves or hopefully have created for ourselves. And those goals are goals that we should be passing on to our children, which will help them become more self-sufficient and ready to tackle adulthood. So the first is that a goal would be to let them make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. A second would be to encourage them to face their fears and try new difficult things. A third would be help them to de-stress. A fourth would be help them with finance lessons. Mm -hmm. And last, teach them essential life skills, which is why we're doing this podcast is because we're hoping whether you are already 10, 12, 13 years into parenting, or you're a new young parent, that this requires you to be thoughtful and to actually have a plan. You know, you I tried winging it the, the first two times and I learned so quickly things that were ineffective. For instance, we're going to talk about letting them make mistakes. When I was a younger mother, uh, it was a day of what they call the helicopter parent, which is you just hover or the hover parent where you Mm -hmm. hovered right over them every single move, always correcting, 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 telling them what they needed to do. And the hovering was also, you know, knowing their every mood so that you can correct it before they even make the move. Right, right. You know, and at the time I thought that was being attentive. Then it there was another type of parent, which was the lawnmower parent, which helicopter you hovered, 
lawnmower, you mowed every, you got in front of your child and you mowed down everything so that their path was already made smooth Mm -hmm. or so you thought. But what I learned quickly is it doesn't give them any sort of critical thinking. And what was the goal for them to never, the goal was actually for them to never make mistakes. Yeah. I'm here so that they don't have, how many times have we heard that? I'm here so that you don't make the same mistakes I made. Yeah. But it should have been make the same mistakes I made, but not any mistakes at all. So I learned that in order for them to develop critical thinking and problem solving skills, Mm -hmm. that you have to have problems. Yeah. And you have to make mistakes. Yes. And you're there within a reasonable, you don't have to make every decision for them because if they make a decision, most likely they're going to choose exactly what you would have chosen. Mm -hmm. But if they didn't, then it's a mistake. And then you go through the problem solving. How do we correct this? You also give them the opportunity to understand that there is nothing shameful or embarrassing about making mistakes. And that's a lifelong lesson. Yeah. And I think we could even tie that into education in the sense that You know, when children are young, we come alongside them and we sit down and we make sure we do their homework with them side by side, right? And as they grow up, we should be able to loosen those reins and the children should have developed some sort of skills whereby they, you know, are able to recognize they have homework assignments, they're going to do them and, you know, they have a time, they have a deadline they have to get done. But how many times have you heard of parents who literally will do their children's homework for them? And, you know, heaven forbid they go in and have made the mistake of not having an assignment done. What could they possibly learn from being a kid who doesn't have their assignment done? Well, I'll tell you, they can learn that there are obviously consequences to that, which your grades will suffer. You might, when you're an elementary student, have to miss recess. You know, there might be any number of consequences, but that's a mistake that you make and then you learn from because there's a consequence. But if the mistake is never made, there's never a consequence. And therefore, children don't understand that actions have consequences. I think it's really important that mistakes are seen as opportunities for growth and learning mm-hmm. rather than opportunities for failure and you know shame. They're not. Mm-hmm. They're growth and learning. And I think that as parents, like allowing them to make these mistakes early on and being able to support them will en- enable them as adults to probably make fewer or certainly less devastating mistakes because they've learned something along the way. We mm-hmm. still make mistakes as adults, but mm-hmm. we don't probably go and rob a bank because we have something within us that has taught us through any number of things, not only just moral and ethical life lessons, but also through having made smaller mistakes, like, you know, and having to have those consequences, we can then make the mental connection, the cognitive connection that there are consequences to big mistakes. And so we avoid those big mistakes because we're able to actually have that cognitive connection. So I do think that it's really important to see that mistakes are essential for learning and growth. And then also, experiencing the consequences. It might not be, you know, I don't even think they have to be huge consequences, but the example that you used, you didn't do your homework, you stay in for recess. When you let them experience that, it gives them the opportunity to choose where their energy is going to be spent. 
you know, yes. and then they realize that they are completely in control of that. It's a series of small mistakes that prevent us from making larger ones. If we want to think about it in terms of like our girls who are with us today and in college, if a child does not study for a test and makes an F on an exam in sixth grade, that's a lot different from failing one of the three exams you'll have in the entirety of your college course. You know, but maybe you would have learned from that F in your sixth grade year oh, I should have studied, I should have had better time management, whatever it could have been that would have prevented a larger mistake. And let's just be real, you know, mistakes at the college level or even going beyond that in employment can have devastating consequences like termination from employment, depending on the size of the mistake. We have to really recognize that it's a compilation of smaller mistakes that gives us the cognitive connection and the tools to avoid bigger mistakes down the road. So Bella, as you've so far successfully navigated the transition into adulthood, what advice, if any, would you have for parents in helping young adults transition into adulthood independently? I think me personally, I experienced a lot of life's firsts in the first couple months of college, but, you know, having to handle that stuff by myself and know how to properly move on and learn from them. It's made me feel like I can do it again. I can handle worse. I would say for parents, it's important to let your child make their own decisions. Like even if in your mind, it's not the best for them, it's their mistake to learn from. You know, being a mom is so tough because you don't want your kids to experience any hardship. That's how I started. And then I realized that if they don't experience any hardship, then they don't know how to figure things out and they can't fend for themselves and they have no experience with falling down and picking themselves back up. I think that's how many people, the expectations that some parents have of their children and I know I used to do that. I know with my two oldest children, I used to think you should know better. Everybody has to do things just perfectly. The fewer mistakes you make, the better it reflects on me as a parent of that child. And I realized that was wrong, 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 because then you end up doing things for them. And the message that they're getting is I'm not capable or I'm not smart enough or mistakes are wrong so that when you do make a mistake, you're devastated. From the earliest times in children's lives, you know, they're going to encounter things that are uncomfortable, right? They're going uh -huh. to have difficult circumstances. But when we shield them from all of the discomfort, we prevent them from developing skills and coping mechanisms for dealing with larger challenges down the road. Those challenges come in many forms. They come in relationships. They come in their work lives. They come in change and periods of change and transition within lives, like moving to new locations, et cetera. When we even empower them at the age of, say, 10 or 11 to take that $2 and go in and buy themselves a candy at the store while you wait right there in the car, you know, mm -hmm. that first time that they head into the store on their own to buy something is certainly 
I'm sure a time of trepidation, like they've never maybe gone into a store by themselves before. And even though you're right there to support them, that step into the store is a challenge, right? But that small step is an opportunity for them to build confidence in larger, more difficult situations later down the road that stretch them outside of their comfort zone. I know there's a specific experience that you had that really highlights my role transitioning over from tell me what to do, what should I do, to you feeling confident in your own abilities. So it'd be great if you could share that with us. Yeah, um, just a really brief background. Uh, The situation my mom is referring to is me learning how to release a friendship that had become toxic. It was really hard because I had never gone through that experience before. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I had to set a really significant boundary to ensure that that toxicity would never reach me again. And we're not going to dive into the details about the situation specifically, but more so focusing on how I handled it. And how I handled it is a product of my upbringing, and was a very pivotal moment for me. Uh, But long story short, after I decided to release this toxic friendship, I felt it was necessary to get a higher party involved, aka my university, just to ensure that the toxic behavior that I had previously endured would never reach me again. You know, in the heat of the situation, I had told my mom what had happened, of course, but she had no idea of how I was choosing to go to the university to get everything squared away. Because I really didn't think it was necessary to tell her. I mean, all I knew is that how this person treated me was not okay. And I needed to communicate that to them without returning any of the aggression that I personally was faced with. I had absolutely no problem doing this on my own because that's just my way of standing up for myself. And... This situation really highlights how my mom's parenting made me confident in my abilities to advocate for myself in a way that was authentic to me and in a way which now looking back, I am 100% no was solution oriented and something that I'm proud of. So when we start allowing them to face their fears or do the difficult things or encourage them and support them in stepping outside of their comfort zones, I really think we create for them a firm foundation upon which they can navigate challenges or uh, situations that push them far outside of their comfort zone when they're adults. Let's take a moment to transition now and talk about the goal of how we as parents can help our children to de-stress. Oftentimes, we think that our children don't really have a lot to worry about except their education and just their family. But that's not necessarily the case because there's also pressure of uh, friendships and relationships. And this obviously translates into future relationships, but also social media pressure, what we didn't have when we were children. Kids have so many things that impact their mental health that we did not necessarily have. This might not be the best example of good parenting, but it was like, if you knew that I was doing great in school and I was having like a 
bad mental health day, I would just text you and you'd pick me up and we'd get Wendy's and then we'd just hang out at home because you knew that, you know, she knows when she needs to go to school. She knows when she can take a few days off. You know, you really put it on me to have that responsibility to govern myself. I actually think it's not a bad parenting strategy. And, you know, a lot of people would say, well, you let her miss school. Well, absolutely. I let you miss school. You were a great student. You had taken ownership of your education at that point. You were performing well. And you also had the time management skills necessary to stay on top of your academics. But I think we often overlook mental health and the support we as parents can provide. And I think that as parents, one of the things we do need to do, and it's part of the preparation that paves a pathway to positivity, is allow our students to recognize when they have to take a break and step back and navigate their emotional health as well as their academic health. So this isn't only about education. This is actually about strength and independence as a young adult. And if we don't give our children permission now to manage their mental health, whenever will they have the permission or the flexibility or the capability to understand when they need to manage their mental health as they transition into adulthood. And I think that we need to really empower our our children to recognize when their mental health needs to take a priority. And that doesn't mean that everything else becomes less than a responsibility. It's still a responsibility. But how do we balance the ability to care for ourselves emotionally and mentally while still maintaining the necessary jobs or roles that we have to fulfill within our lives, like student or, you know, employee for a position or anything else. And I think an important thing to note here is how do you, you have to model that behavior. I know something that was very different from how I was raised. My parents didn't talk about what was stressing them. It would be a mood. It would be an energy in the house. It would be you would just as a child sense that you are now walking on eggshells. And my parents lived in a time where you didn't show your weaknesses to your children. So showing my children my children knew there was a period of time my anxiety was high. I was in therapy. I was taking medication. You know, it was a mild antidepressant that also yeah. handled uh, anxiety and not letting them or showing them that there is nothing weak or shameful about that. I agree. And I mean, I'm not ashamed to say that I am in therapy at the moment. Um, it's a really great tool. And I think, unfortunately, there are so many of my peers and college students that are too afraid or they feel like they're too busy to take that time out of their week to focus on their mental health. Or mental health in generally is as in, is just as important, if not more, than physical overall health, particularly mm-hmm. in raising children. And, and that, I think that I don't want to call it a lesson, but I think that model, as you said, has been one that my kids have been able to take forward. And I think throughout their lives, they are not looking at themselves just in terms of a physically healthy being or an active being. They're looking at themselves as a whole person where mental health is a huge part of their overall health. And so they're able to navigate their emotions, their feelings, their, uh, their ability to regulate, their ability to face conflict. All of these other things come from a healthy state of mental awareness. 
So the next area that we can help ensure that we are raising children with all of the tools necessary to transition successfully into adulthood is to help them with financial lessons in life to is uh-huh. is to provide them with a framework for financial health as well. And I think that we can um, do that by really um, initially ensuring that we don't hide the reality of what it's like to be an adult financially. I think it's very important that children are involved, that they understand the value of money, that they understand a rough idea of what things cost, that they are have some skills in budgeting, that they have mm-hmm. their own disposable income with which they need to determine how best to spend it. You know, that they... There are any number of things, Evelyn, I'm sure you have plenty, but like that they understand the cost of groceries, that they understand Uh the idea of prices going up. Look where we're living now in this time of incredible inflation where six months ago, a dozen eggs was $2.65 and now we're paying $8, Uh you know, like this is a real reality and we need to transform our financial profiles and our spending to meet this financial reality, if children have been left out of the finances completely, they're ill-equipped to handle themselves financially as young adults. I think so. And, you know, I'm a little quiet on this end because I will say out of all the goals that we had mentioned that we are going through, this is an area where I feel I didn't recognize that until my two older ones were out of college and I realized that the approach that I had taken, which we all have to recognize how we handle anything comes from how we see the world. And we as parents, we have our own issues that we're working out. So the way I approached finances with my two older children was they had no idea. They didn't know how much things cost. My goal, or I thought, that I was doing the best by them by just providing and they didn't even think about where it came from. If we don't allow them the opportunity to struggle a little bit financially, Mm -hmm. they will never understand the joy of being able to achieve something down the road through that hard work that it took to get there. Right. You know, and it's- Yes, yes, I do. I absolutely see that with- uh, My oldest daughter, who after not having any skills, and we've actually had conversations how I did not provide any skills and not in a blaming way. I remember her being upset, her saying, what what the hell do they teach you in high school? They Mm -hmm. should definitely teach you how to budget and finances and how money works, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of taking some of these classes that you never uh, use that information, practical life skills. And I remember telling her at the time, I think, well, honey, that's the parent's responsibility. And I absolutely didn't do that. You know, and I wasn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. I thought I was doing her a favor by don't you worry about a thing. All you have to do is get through college. I've asked you just to finish school so that you're prepared. And that's all you need to worry about. Well, she came out and she had no idea where her 
rent came from when she mm-hmm. moved off campus. And yeah. so when she, when I realized I did, it, it was a disservice to her. Yeah. I didn't know. You only know what you know, which is why we're doing this podcast. If you are one of those parents like me who thinks when I was that age, all I wanted was to know that my that my stuff was paid for and I didn't care about where it came. I didn't care. Yeah. Let's talk finances, Bella, because again, you are in a unique situation in that you are living in an apartment. You're not living on campus. You are budgeting for your own meals, et cetera. And let's just put it out there. I don't pay for your college, nor do I pay your bills. So what does financial independence look like in the transition to adulthood for you? I think financial independence takes a really long time. And there are a lot of struggles that come along the way. I know right now, right before I called you, I was, you know, budgeting for the rest of the month, trying to figure out how I was going to make it work because it's not always easy. I have a job and I'm in the process of getting a second job, but you have to do a lot of pre-planning in order to remain in your budget. There's a lot that goes into budgeting, whether it's deciding where you're going to spend your excess funds or where you're going to buy groceries. I shop at Aldi because it's really inexpensive and it has good produce, but it took a long time and there's a lot of stress that went into it and I'm not fully confident in my financial abilities yet, but I know I'll get there. I completely understand that we want to give our children like the best that we can give them, right? That's what we want to do. And I think it's very admirable as parents for us to have that drive to give them the best. But what I always felt, and I think what is often the case is that when we give them so much at such a young age, what a letdown when they cannot get that on their own. Mm -hmm. We often see children that are, you know, they turn 16 and they have this brand new, amazing automobile in their driveways. Well, what happens when that runs out and all of a sudden they're 22 out of college, you know, that car has now I guess been on its last legs or whatever. And now they're forced to go out and find a car. But their income is such that they can only afford a used 10-year-old vehicle that will get them from point A to point B. The functionality of that vehicle is probably just the same. It's going to transport you where you need to go. But that's a very big letdown. And it's also a reality check when, if we would have, when they were younger, said, okay, uh, you need to work for a period of time, save up some money, and I will... Even if we say, I'll, whatever you contribute, I'll contribute I'll match as it. much. Yeah. I'll match it. So you might now have, you know, $2,500 contributed by this child, $2,500 by the parent. And that vehicle is something that's would be expected for someone who's earning $2,500, you know, right. over a course yes. of a period of time. There's no letdown there. They're still able to get around. They're still able to drive. But they also have the joy of knowing that they had to work toward that, that they contributed, that they that was hard work and they were able to purchase something and they have ownership of it in a way that's, you know, very different than when you get something that you did not in any way earn. It's what have you earned? And Mm -hmm. you earn things through hard work. You Mm -hmm. earn things through 
you know, planning and and planning and discipline and all of that. Mm -hmm. When we talk about finances in terms of the forging of pathways to positivity, we now have built a mechanism through which our kids, young adults now, are able to gauge their own financial health and are able to live within their means. And I think Mm -hmm. that's really important because again, when we look at the big picture, what do we envision for ourselves as adults? What do we see our future looking like post-raising children? And I don't think we envision it as supporting our adult children financially. I don't think there's anybody that looks at our adult lives as that, you know, like, oh, right. My plan when I retire, my plan when I, you know, am an empty nester is to support my adult children financially. Mm -hmm. Still be paying their mortgage or their rent. No, no. You know, and as I said, when I discovered that I had not properly, and I will say that properly educated any of my children in finances as they were still under my roof, when I did make that discovery, you know, I, there were conversations. Now I'm kind of putting together these pieces of, there were conversations that ended up jumping to this. They knew that whatever I'm doing post parenting, they don't want to burden me with their bills or look to me for financial help. You know, not saying that they don't think I'll be in any position to do it. Right. But just knowing that that for them, that wouldn't, that is not their goal. The last goal that I think we can discuss on this podcast, although this is a very limited view of, you know, obviously all of the things that we could do to better prepare our children to transition to adulthood. But I think this is incredibly important to make sure that they are developing the essential life skills to thrive as independent adults. And those life skills, some of which we've already discussed, but are really the cornerstones to successful adulting. Those things include things we've already talked about, like managing our time, studying efficiently, sticking to a budget. But then there's also things that we really haven't talked about, like cleaning up our personal spaces, handling emergencies, or even how to eat well. And I know that seems silly, but how to eat well, because when you are faced with a limited budget, you know, where do you put your dollars? Let's be real. We do have an epidemic in the United States and probably in other countries, but I can't speak on the statistics there of, you know, obesity Obesity. and anything else. Yeah. And that stems from, you know, the reality is that the most affordable food is the the food that's not very good for our bodies like McDonald's or anything else. And so, but how do we teach them how to cook from scratch, for example, so that they can be cooking healthy foods that are um, more economically feasible than buying, you know, McDonald's or yeah, exactly. Yeah. So (laughs) our packaged um, food that's loaded with sodium and preservatives and yes, yes. So nourishing your body on, on a budget. Maybe you can describe right now what that was like moving away and transitioning to college, which is also a stepping stone to to adulthood. Now that I'm entering the second half of college, it's kind of come down to more of the technical things that I am talking with my mom about, you know, letting go or not letting go of, but transitioning me into taking the reins, for instance, just talking about things like insurance, um, you know, simple things, health insurance, uh, you know, my financial situation with college, I really want to be able to 
understand that for myself and not just have my mom be taking care of it 100% without me knowing. Like I want to have a decent understanding of where the money for my school is coming from um, because I'm grateful for those things, which is another thing that my mom instilled within me. Yeah. I think these things, like when we say life skills, we have really talked about so many of them, but if we can even, you know, um, narrow that down even more to skills that are essential for maintaining one's personal living environment, their home, you know, what that looks like, like cooking and cleaning. So right now you are at college 3000 miles away. And we've talked a little bit about what independent living looks like. Let's just expand on that for a minute. If you hadn't had some life skills growing up in terms of self-care or the ability to prep meals, what do you think would have been the outcome for you as you transitioned to college? Because I'm sure there are a lot of students that actually do face that. Perhaps they weren't as prepared. There are definitely like some people that I've met or I've heard of that didn't transition to, you know, adult independent life as well as I feel like I have. Some people didn't know how to do their own laundry in a washing machine. There are some people, my ex-roommates freshman year, that didn't really know how to properly clean spaces like bathrooms. So that caused a lot of attention, especially when you're with new people that, you know, share a space with you. You kind of have to know that stuff. There are multiple aspects to becoming an adult, you know, one of which is emotional maturity, second is self-regulation, third of which could be practical life skills. You know, the transition to independence starts very early on in a childhood when you begin to learn how to navigate these practical life skills more independently. You didn't just start out doing laundry at three years old or four years old. But you started out helping to maybe sort laundry. And then at a certain age, you know, you had to begin putting your laundry in and I showed you how to operate it. And then at another age, you then began doing your own laundry. It's that progression. And I think that that is something that we as parents have a responsibility to do. And in terms of our podcast, which is all about forging pathways to positivity, had you not had those skills, what would that look like for you right now in terms of your transition into independent life? I think classes are hard enough. If I hadn't known how to take care of myself and my space on my own, I think it would have been completely overwhelming and I might have even dropped out. I know that there are so many people that just are not as prepared when they first get to college and they have to take a step back, maybe take a year or two and then come back when they're more ready for independent life. Let's talk about some of those essential life skills. One, mm -hmm. the ability to clean up after oneself. I think that's yes. really important because there's a, it's obviously unsanitary to live in an mm -hmm. environment where you are unable to clean up after yourself. But I think that that starts very early on when we hold children, um, to accountability in terms of maintaining their own personal spaces. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's a staged progression. First, you come alongside and you clean with them, but eventually you would hope that they'd be able to clean up their own personal spaces independently. Uh, yes. Where we also talked about, it's not just your personal space, but when you live with other people, yes. now you know, you're know you infringing on someone else's ability to live in a tidy manner. Yes. 100%. You, yes. And you can't expect other people yeah, yeah. to clean up for you. Yeah. And then cooking too. You know, I know that 
the the stereotypical great mom always has the meal provided on the table. But I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, families cooking together. And then as children grow into teenage years, even allowing the teenagers to have a night a week where they're responsible mm-hmm. for cooking the dinner. And I think yeah. that really when <laughs> this is the truth, I cannot tell you how many adults that I know, men and women, who do not know how to cook. They say, I don't like to cook. The reality is they just never learned to cook. Listen, Evelyn, I don't like to cook either, but I know how to do it and I will do it. And I think I do it well because it's not a matter of whether I like to do it or not. It's a matter of feeding myself and my family. Like I have to feed people. And the option, especially when you look at it in terms of finances, is that you can't eat out every single night. Few people can. So you mm-hmm. need to learn how to cook healthy meals for yourself. And that starts in the, you know, the childhood years. And mm-hmm. it's what we do to encourage our children to be part of that process of cooking and preparing meals and even meal planning, like mm-hmm. meal planning. What does that look like when you plan out your meals for the week so that when you go to the grocery store, you know what you're, you need to be buying and you have some idea of what that budget might look like. Mm-hmm. So I think when we teach our kids and involve them early on in these essential life skills, they're able to transition more easily. Doesn't mean if they've never learned it, they can't learn it as adults. They absolutely can. But why mm-hmm. not pave a pathway to positivity for them and give them the tools and the skills they need to be able to do it effectively and efficiently as mm-hmm. adults in their transitioning years? Even if you just give them a list, a little list of things, I know I sent my son off with he could cook eggs. Mm-hmm. You know, eggs yeah. is always economical. Yeah. Healthy. Yeah. Protein. Yeah. And if you can scramble some eggs and get some multi-grain yeah. bread, yeah. you're in business. I remember when I was pregnant with Miles. He was born in 2011. My husband, my ex-husband, uh, Le, at the time he was my husband, he left when I was, he left in August for a deployment. Miles was born at the end of November. So um, for those last few months, I was heavily pregnant and had, you know, four children ranging from 17 mm-hmm. down to nine at the time. By the time I was like eight months pregnant, trust me, the last thing I wanted to do was go to the grocery store. Uh So I would involve the kids in the meal planning. It was just me and the kids. And I was very heavily pregnant. And we would make the list. And then Noelle and Shelby, Noelle was 17 at the time, would go to the grocery store. store. I would transfer the money into her account. They would go to the grocery store. They would do the shopping. They would pay, give the tip, come back. I really think, yes, it was out of necessity. I was big, (laughs) but also (laughs) it was such a good training process for them on meal planning, writing the list out together, them going and doing the grocery shopping, coming home, all of us putting things away, you know, Mm -hmm. all of the kids were involved in it. And I'm really glad I did that because the kids absolutely know how to make grocery lists, go shopping, how to, how to plan their meals, all of that. And so, you know, I think that that is one area that then they felt really confident moving into adulthood so that they knew exactly how to do that. They had done it. Obviously, they wouldn't be doing that independently at nine years old, but at nine years old, they can be looking through recipes with you and deciding what you want to make and looking at what ingredients are required and then helping you cook and, you know, all of those aspects of it. So I think that as we move through the childhood years at very to varying degrees, the kids should definitely be involved to some degree in meal planning, cooking, grocery shopping, all of that to help build the tools that they'll need to succeed as adults. 
Well, I am so excited that we ventured into the topic of transitioning our children into adulthood. I want to thank Mara and Bella for contributing to this episode because it was really interesting and uh, edifying to hear their perspectives on what it was like and how they felt prepared or maybe in some cases not prepared to transition into adulthood. But I think it's something that we can all take away from um, and really examine our own practices and how we've been helping our children grow in the skills necessary or the goals that we've set for how to transition into adulthood in a more positive manner. And again, let's not lose sight of the fact that we're forging pathways to positivity, and this allows each and every one of us to continue on the path to achieving the vision that we set for ourselves post-raising children. So thank you again, girls. And I guess at this point in time, we will begin to hop off the platform and move into our better than fine practice with Evelyn. I love what you just ended our conversation with the girls with, because that is our better than frying practice for this week. Examine your life roles and take stock. I think that's a great practice. I mean, specifically as a parent or parent figure, sit down and actually think about what are you responsible for and be specific. You can start broad, for example, broad to raise a child, specific to raise a functioning, self-reliant, resourceful, responsible, loving, lovable adult that is excited and enthusiastic about life. I mean, that was my definition, but you come up with your own. Then break that down into how you do that currently, or if you do that. So often, we don't even realize we are in autopilot and we don't stop. For instance, my example with the finances, Mm -hmm. I never realized I was in autopilot. I had this vision that I didn't want my children to ever be concerned with not having enough money. So I cut them out of it completely. If you can stop and examine what you're doing and why you're doing it and see if there's a better way that can prepare them and yourself for life after raising children, Mm -hmm. then break that down into how you do that. By example, conversations, loving connections, cultivating trust, honoring imperfections and vulnerability. This can be done in all your roles in the event that you are not a parent and you're listening. You know, what is your role as a daughter, a coworker, a friend, a sibling, a citizen, Habits form unconsciously and periodically we have to take a look at where we are, where we're headed, and if that's where we want to end up. Then share, have a conversation with your child or your sibling or whatever relationship you're examining and that you have a part in shaping that person or relationship. Write it down. I think that's really great. And I think it really ties in well to this week's episode. I also want to thank the girls for their vulnerability in expressing their struggles as well as their triumphs in navigating adulthood. And so that ends this week's episode of the Positivity Platform. Thank you so much for listening. Join us next week for another episode of the Positivity Platform.
If you enjoyed listening to this week's episode of The Positivity Platform, please follow us on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or iHeartRadio to receive updates and alerts when new episodes are released. And please leave us a comment on our social media, Positivity.Platform on Facebook and Instagram, and The Positivity Platform on Twitter at PosPod2022. Thank you for joining us on the Positivity Platform.